Welcome to the Ralston College podcast. I'm Stephen Blackwood. Today's guest is Dr. Donna Orwin, professor of Russian literature at the University of Toronto in the Department of Slavic Languages and Literatures, and a fellow of the Royal Society of Canada. Today's conversation is the second part in a two-part podcast. The first was the previous episode in which I read Leo Tolstoy's wonderful novella, The Death of Ivan Ilyich. Today, Dr. Orwin and I discuss the novella chapter by chapter, and in the context of the life and themes and work of this great Russian novelist, whose influence extends from Virginia Woolf and James Joyce to Alexander Solzhenitsyn, Mahatma Gandhi, and Martin Luther King. At Ralston College, we've been thinking a lot about how we can share works of literature with a wide audience, and this two-part podcast is an experiment in that direction. So please feel free to send us your thoughts and suggestions and ideas. If you'd like to follow along in the text, as Dr. Orwin and I discuss the novella, we're using the translation of Louise and Almer Maud, that's M-A-U-D-E, which is widely available online. I'm Stephen Blackwood. Thanks for listening. I have the great pleasure today to be joined by Dr. Donna Orwin. Dr. Orwin is a professor of Russian literature at the University of Toronto in the Department of Slavic Languages and Literatures, and, and also a fellow of the Royal Society of Canada. Thank you, Dr. Orwin, for coming on the Ralston College podcast. It's a pleasure. Thank you for inviting me, Stephen. I chose the death of Ivan Ilyich as a work to begin this new initiative of seeing how we might be able to share works of uh, literature with a broad audience in some kind of conversation online, because it seemed to me to say something that was very vibrantly relevant to our moment in time. But before we get to that, the novella, first tell us a little bit about Leo Tolstoy. Who, who was he? When did he live? What, what, is this, what is this author about? Okay. So Leo Tolstoy was born in 1828 and died in 1910. So you can see that he spanned, his lifetime spanned the glorious golden age of Russian literature. Uh, so he's in, in 19, when he died in 1910, the Russian regime was, was moving toward collapse. The revolution took place in, in 1917. He did not see World War II, which was, uh, which was a precipitating factor, but he did live through the Russo-Japanese War in 1905, which already was almost caused a revolution. So he... He was a member of a of an aristocratic family. He uh, his parents died when he was very young. His mother died when he was younger than three years old, and his father died when he was nine. So death was a very important element in his life. He had four siblings. He had a br- uh, three brothers and a sister, young younger sister. He was the youngest brother, and he so he he was raised by relatives, but. That's not, but but kind relatives. But his, but from the very very early age, he was aware of loss of mortality, and this this certainly affected him and his life. He, as a young man, he he went to university, he flunked out, 
well, he, he sort of flunked out. He, he left, let's just put it that way, left before he would flunk out. He um, was thinking, of, he, he started reading philosophy seriously. He kept a diary, uh, trying to figure out how to be a good person. This is one of the reasons I got interested in him. When I discovered that when I was in university that he was keep that he kept this diary, I began to read his diary because I didn't keep a diary, but I was very very concerned about being a good person. And uh, with Tolstoy, it was uh, every day he would write, "I shouldn't have done this and I shouldn't have done that." And tomorrow I swear that I will not do this and that. And then tomorrow would be the entry. Tomorrow would begin. I did it. I did this and that again. So that sense, you know, his 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 passion, his his bad his 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 doing the wrong thing, and his his uh, his repentance and his attempt to make himself a good person and create rules for life. This segues into the kind of writer he became. So he became a a writer who thinks about the human soul. About in order, if you're going to be a good person, you really have to understand what people are like. Otherwise, you're 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 sentimentalizing. And so he he looked into every nook and cranny of his own soul as to why he did behave the way he did, why he was so passionate, why he loved sex so much, why he why he gambled. He gambled as a young man, uh, and and so on and so forth. So if he hadn't had those that passionate side, he wouldn't really have understand understood what human beings are like. But from the very beginning, he was also asking himself how can i how should i live my life and how can i how can i somehow uh get my 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 passionate nature under control and aim it toward what is good so he started in it so he he kept this diary and he also started reading to find out from the great minds uh how one should one should live and his two the two greatest influences on him in this respect in his early age, were Rousseau and Plato. He read Plato in French. Uh, he was, as an aristocrat, he was completely fluent in French. He knew German. He knew English somewhat, but just to say that he that he uh, he he was able to to access these texts, and not not the Plato, but the but the but the uh, Rousseau in in the original language. Meanwhile, having flunked out of university and having tried to become a good landowner, serfdom was still in, in place. This was in the early 1850s, and he, he, he was trying to help his serfs and trying to improve his, their lives and so on, and that didn't go so well. He decided to join the army or go to the Caucasus. In the first place, he went to the Caucasus with his oldest brother, Nikolai, and, and having, who, who was an army officer. And then having uh, spent a little time there, he joined the army himself. And this is an absolutely crucial part of his ed education because he experienced war. He experienced the most, a, a, a kind of extreme, uh, this extreme chaos of life. And he, he meanwhile, and, and he started writing about this. He stayed in the army until after the Crimean War, which he in which he fought. He was a, an artillery officer, and uh, he so he 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 began to write war stories, and he also began to write stories. His first published work was called Childhood, which come out of the diary in the sense that they 
they build on those insights that he had as he was examining his own inner life. So he, in the 1850s, he published these early works in what we might call immature works, but very interesting and important works. Childhood is still, is a wonderful work. Uh, the, the, the Sevastopol sketches uh, about his experience in Crimea. I, I once actually had the experience of hearing a report, and I wrote about this, a report of how our soldiers, American soldiers, were reading the Sevastopol sketches while they were at war in in Afghanistan. And they were writing to their teacher. They were taking um, courses, online courses with the teacher. And they were writing to, to, to their teacher saying, how does he know? How does this man who's Russian and who lived so long ago know how I feel? I thought that was very, and, and so I asked myself that question about the whole story uh, going forward. Then, and he got married in the early 1860s, and his marriage was tumultuous, successful, uh, not so successful at times. He had 13 children with his wife. Eight of them lived, and this does not include the, the miscarriages and so on. Eight of them lived to adulthood. And he stayed with his wife until the very end of his life in, uh, in uh, uh, 1910. And he died running away from his wife and running away from his family. Uh, that's a whole other story. But in the meantime, in the 1860s, when he had first gotten married, he wrote what I consider his greatest work, which is War and Peace. And uh, he had the ideal, he was living on his estate in the, in the Russian countryside. and. His wife was very, very passionately involved in his, committed to his life as a writer. She, it was the ideal circumstances for writing this book, and he and he he wrote, he wrote it. One of the, the greatest novel ever, one of the greatest novels ever written. The 1870s is the decade of Anna Karenina, which is less optimistic, let's just say, about life. But also, you know, a very, very great novel. And some people would, would argue with me and say that Anna Karenina is, is Tolstoy's greatest work. But it's, it's partly a matter of temperament, I suppose. But toward the end of the 1870s, uh, his, he began to uh, experience a kind of the joie de vivre, the solution to his life, which was to be married. To have children, he'd gotten everything he wanted, but it wasn't enough. So he under he underwent a kind of crisis, uh, which was a kind of crisis of 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 belief, of a crisis of faith, in which he began to ask himself questions of questions like, you know, what, how should he was always asking, how should I live my life? But what do I believe? What is my belief? What is? And he 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 basically dedicated the rest of his life. To, to producing works which laid out his his own uh, version of Christianity of 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 modern faith. Death of Ivan Ilyich was the first work of fiction that he wrote after this crisis began. So it's it's very significant that it's about death. That it's whereas the earlier works were about how how living, 
uh, not escaping death, but in a certain sense, making life worthwhile, this work was aimed squarely at the question of death. And he, as I say, the rest of his life was, he became, he became an, an, an I can't think of, an, of, a, of a kind of a, uh, uh, an example in our own time of the kind of guru he became. He became one of the founders or one of the, one of the great spokesmen for pacifism, for, uh, he, he, he influenced Gandhi, uh, who, uh, Became it was a kind of Tolstoyan. He influenced. He was influenced by and influenced many American uh, thinkers and 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 uh, social activists. And even today, if you go on the internet and you look up things like pacifism or Tolstoyanism, you'll discover that there's an awful lot there. That there's a whole group of people who are still reading Tolstoy. But in his own time, people actually found founded communities uh, based on Tolstoy's precepts is his practical Christianity. Uh, I don't think that happens now. Some of the kibbutzes in Israel, for instance, were Tol- founded by Tolstoyans. There were, there were Tolstoyan communities in America uh, and all over the world. So this is a man who turned his attention away from art to, to this, uh, to this um, becoming a, I wouldn't call it a public intellectual, but a, 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 a I, I like the term guru by becoming a public figure. Uh, he, he, people came to visit him from all over the world. He was, uh, his death was reported in the New York times. Um, he, so he, he wanted to, to, to stop being a writer of fiction and be, and, and focus on this side of his life. But he did continue to write works of literature and some of them are very, very great. So is that good enough to, to kind of give you a little bit of a yes, that's a that is a that's a wonderful introduction. Thank you very much for that. How would you characterize? And I'm sure you have already done so with this introduction, uh, with what you've said about his self examination and his the the emergence of a moral vision very early on in his life. Uh, when it comes to his fiction, how would you characterize the main themes of his works? On the one hand, you have a a kind of very deep psychological analysis. Uh, just ask the question of what are people like, uh, what 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 motivates them. He think he thinks in terms. It's it. He's almost a very and he's 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 a, among other things a product of the Enlightenment, that French education that he had. So he's ask, asking the questions of uh, why do people behave the way they do? How do they behave and what does it mean? So you can read Tolstoy and absolutely disagree with his, his Christian, with his religious thought, but still be blown away by his psychological insight. And the great thing about Tolstoy is, you know, he's often criticized for being dogmatic and so on, but he doesn't pull his punches when it comes to the way people behave. He shows it the way it is. Uh, I, I would say that if you compare him to his great contemporary Fyodor Dostoevsky, he doesn't focus as much as Dostoevsky does on the evil side. A why, not evil, but why people are evil. He prefers to, but, but, he, but he alludes to it because he doesn't want to leave that out. 
So there's that side of Tolstoy. And for, for many people, this is the Tolstoy who, who captivates them. The, the, there's another side of Tolstoy, which is, is one of his main psychological principles is nobody can take a step without it being in the service of what they believe. Now, that doesn't mean that people know what they believe. Most people don't ask themselves that question. So, but he's very interested in why people behave the way they do. There's a kind of continuum, right, of, of behavior. And it's all based on certain beliefs, which you may or may not acknowledge. So that, that principle is very, very important for him. And, and he wants to show you that one of his teachings is you are behaving the way you do for a reason. And you have to, the thinking person begins to ask themselves, why am I behaving this way? And, and can, to at least to some extent, change their behavior if they change their beliefs. And he shows that, I don't, people, our, our, our listeners probably don't have War and Peace in mind, but I love the scene in War and Peace where Pierre Bezukhov, uh, perhaps the most important character in the book, uh, crashes. His, his whole, his belief system crashes because of what happens to him. He's a, he's a typical aristocrat of his time. And the, all of a sudden he understand he realizes that he doesn't, that none of this makes any sense. And when this happens to him, Tolstoy says, it's as if a screw, it's as if his, his, the mechanism of his mind stopped working and he can't do anything until He's until he is able to re to, to to find another set of beliefs that will allow him to move forward again. So I love this part about Tolstoy because it's it's so it's so deeply it forefronts the importance of of belief in the human in 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 in, in human beings and shows us that we that none of us can really operate without beliefs that we need to question it makes i mean in a certain sense it makes nihilism very difficult it certainly makes it impossible to say that i i don't i i just do what i do for any reason it's it, it's it's so it's it's a very important lesson for today i think mm. then you know then tolstoy shows us family life he shows us that that's what war and peace is all about uh anna Karenin is all about that's you know uh, it begins every all, all happy families are alike. Each happy, you know, and 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 uh, each unhappy family is different. And he asks the question, "What is the family? And does family bring us happiness?" You can't ask that question until he's beginning to wonder if it does. And one of the great things about Anna Karenina is that uh, we come to that Anna is the hero. She, she makes her decisions. She has to take responsibility for them. She kills herself in the end because of the decisions that she makes. But we, uh, what's insidious about it is that we understand why she made those decisions. She's, she is in, in a, her marriage does not make her happy. So family life is very important. And then the study of war is another great theme in Tolstoy. And he's one of the greatest war war. Uh, writers and and um, I would I don't want to say that every war writer is influenced by after Tolstoy is influenced by him, but most of them are. That's for sure. Hemingway is a great example. 
Hemingway loved Tolstoy and loved loved his war stories. So those are other very, very important themes in his writing. That's I'll stop there. That's we're going to come, I think, to several of the themes you've just mentioned as we turn to the novella. Uh, But one last, as it were, introductory question. The thing about novels, of course, is that they they come to life and you think this is a real story. You know, a great novel is is taking you you inside of it that you can forget that you're in inside a work of art that has been constructed. Um, you know, some people would say that Anna Karenina or War and Peace, uh, that one of those is the, perhaps the, the greatest novel ever written. Some would say that The Death of Ivan Ilyich is the greatest novella ever written. Of course, claims of being the best are always going to be inevitably contested. You know, This is the best, that is the best. But it's clear in any case that Tolstoy is a very, very great writer. What makes him so good? Well, um, aside from whether you agree or disagree with him, I think one of his greatest, uh, uh, this is something you won't notice because he, he doesn't want you to notice it, but it's the way he tries to engage you and get you involved and get you questioning, get you, get you helping him tell his story. So he has a way of appealing over and over again. He's always asking you, don't you agree with this? He'll, he'll give you a story. He'll, he'll, he'll say what so-and-so is thinking. And then in, 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 in very subtle ways, he'll turn to his reader and say, is, isn't that what you've thought? Don't you agree with this? This this started very early when he began to in the, in the 1850s in that early period when he was learning to write, where he he realized that that he needed to how do you how do you get people into your story and make them part of the story, make them feel as though they're experiencing the story. He he began to appeal to the senses. So in one of his Sevastopol sketches, he shows you. How does he reveal the landscape, the, 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 the place that you're in? He shows you how it smells. He shows you how it looks. He shows you how it feels, how it, how it, he shows you, uh, he, 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 he appeals to all of your senses. So then, so your senses become the memory of your senses, shall we say, or the imagination of your senses become engaged and you feel that you're in that place. So that's, but, but that's, so that's, so he, 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 in, in this, through imagination, he involves your body in the text. And he does that in Death of Ivan Ilyich, where he, where, you know, Piotr Ivanovich, he's, he's, he takes you into the, into the parlor. There's that very, very funny uh, experience with the, the spring in the chair that keeps, so he, he, which is a joke, but also allows you to, to have that experience. Then, but then he also appeals to your your life experience, um, you know, that the diary you didn't write, shall we say, but where you're always thinking about yourself. Haven't you actually thought of these things yourself? Haven't you actually uh, had this experience? And you'll see him asking that in, in, a, in different ways again and again in his works. So that the the, the magic of Tolstoy's fiction depends on him engaging his reader to and 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 having his reader agree that yes this is what life is this is what life is that surely is the the special genius of the death of ivan ilich the way that 
in one sense, it's a very simple story. A man gets sick and dies. And yet that's not what the story is really about. It's about the questions that 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 illness and coming death raises for the man himself. And yet that's not what it's really about. What it's really about is the way in which we get taken into asking those very questions. But, but, for wait, but wait a minute, wait a minute, Stephen. No, but let's go back to your first statement. It is about a man gets sick and dies. That's It's about that. And it's a taboo subject. You know, one could say that one lives one's whole life trying to not, knowing that one's going to get sick and die, but not acknowledging it and not facing it. And Tolstoy finds a way to to write a rather long, we call it a novella instead of a short story, a rather long story where we watch someone dying. And it's very scary, but it's also very exhilarating because we've been wanting to do this, but yes, we're this afraid seems- to do it. This is absolutely clearly the the fundamental one of the fundamental tensions in the story is the denial of death as death becomes more and more real. Um, let's let's start with the structure of the novella. It actually s- starts in a way at the end. Right. Ivan Ilyich is already dead. The first scene is his colleagues reading of his death in the newspaper, mm-hmm. and then everything that happens afterwards is a telling from Yvonne's perspective of the illness that happened that led to his death. Yeah. So why is this beginning important? You know, why does he set the stage, do you think, in, in this way, both structuring the story uh, uh, as something that's already happened, but bringing us into sort of in medias res with the colleagues reading the newspaper about this event that has already happened before mm-hmm. he goes on to recount it? Well, I think that there's a number of answers to that, but one of the answers is that this is how you do experience death, the death of others. And to begin with, and some people never never leave this side, this part of the story, but to begin with, you can you can say that these people that, that these that these colleagues are are uh, busy denying that this is not about me, right? This is about will I get a will I get a promotion now? You you and you say you you first you say, Oh, I'm so sorry about poor Ivan Yulich. Uh, he was so ill, but uh, it's still a shock that he's died. But what you're thinking is, maybe I'll be promoted now. So he's so he's and 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 um, you can read that two ways. You can say you can say, oh, this shows you what the what the bourgeoisie is like. This is what other people are like. This is what those people, uh, you know, those those managers or those uh, bourgeois people are like. Or you can also. And as the story unfolds, you might go back and reread those things and say to yourself, well, maybe I've done those things too. So you begin with the perspective from the outside, and then you turn to this perspective from the inside. Let's talk a bit more about this perspective of the outside, because in a sense, the perspective of the colleagues we come to learn is precisely the perspective that Ivan Ilyich himself had for most of his life. That's right. This thinking of you know the just jostling for position you know there's that lovely line at the beginning that uh, that you just alluded to that the first on receiving the news of Ivan Ilyich's death the first thought of each of the gentlemen in that private room was of the changes and promotions that might occasion among themselves or their acquaintances so there's this sense of self-interest narrowly defined yeah. of appearances of wealth of money career and this is turns out what Yvonne himself has been uh, 
fundamentally dedicating his life to. Would you like to say a bit more about what Tolstoy is building out for us as this position in the colleagues as we then transition into Ivan Ilyich himself? Well, you first of all, you 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 might not notice this so much uh, if you're not you don't know you don't read the work in Russian. You might not know the fact that uh, in Russian everybody is has a first name and a last name, and then what we call a patronymic, which is uh, what's your father's name, his first name, Robert. Okay, so you are Stefan Robertovich. Okay. So, and I'm Donna Yevgenievna, because my father's name is, is Eugene. So uh, these characters have very typical names. Piotr and Ivan, these are, Peter and Ivan, these are, these are just typical, the, the, tip, well, just like John is a typical name. Ivan is John in, in English. Peter is, is Piotr is Peter. And so all these, these, these characters are all alike, and they're like Ivan Ilyich, right? He has a typical name, too. So they're so so the first point that's being made is that they're all the same and they're all like him. So you do not have a you you're you're prepared you you see what the, the social set that Ivan Ilyich comes comes out of. Now but there's also another strand that's going on at the same same beginning because this Piotr Ivanovich again he could be Ivan Ilyich, right? an old friend of Ivan Ilyich. He's known him for a long time. And we follow his experience of actually viewing the body. And we experience with him the terror that that he feels at viewing the body. Now, you remember that as he's going into the apartment, he he, he, he passes a friend of his who is not going to stick around and who says to him, aren't you going to come to the card game tonight? And, and sort of winks at him. Um, that's the that is the man who does not see the body, who does not see the dead, the death. That is that's that that side of this this group. But Ivan, but Piotr Ivanovich does see the body and does feel that terror. So we begin to that mechanism where we identify with a, a Tolstoy character begins with Piotr Ivanovich. And we've also been to funerals, and we have viewed bodies and been frightened. We don't know what to think of, the, of Ivan Ilyich yet. We just we, he has the dignity of the dead, the stillness. But there's also the the, the terror of death with the the way that the, the that the nose melts into the body because there's the, there's no energy. Life simply as energy is gone. We're we're looking at a piece of a piece of matter. There's, there's that you mentioned that both sort of funny but also dark scene uh, where uh, Piotr Ivanovich goes to speak with uh, Ivan Ilyich's widow Praskovia Fedorovna, and the, the the scene is they're in this 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 sitting room mm-hmm. uh, where everything is very come il faut. This is this French phrase you mentioned. Which Tolstoy loved, Russian, huh? right? The, As it mentioned that the Russian, be, right? Conventional. Yes, yes. It, 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 the, our listeners may find it interesting that this this verb "il faut" comes from the French verb "falloir," which is an impersonal verb that means to be necessary, 
but it, it takes on the form of, of being proper or respectable or mm-hmm. everything just as society, high society thinks it should be. Mm-hmm. And it turns out that uh, Ivan Ilyich is, is really obsessed with being come il faut. So he's wanting always to be perceived like he is uh, should be perceived, this externality of others' opinions. And this is quite a scene where Pyotr Ivanovich comes into this 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 sitting room where everything is meant to be Camille Faux and and he wants to get out of it. You know, this room that was meant to impress in in fact even in the decoration of which room he had himself been consulted. You know, that you see already being foreshadowed the the inadequacy of this position of trying to live for others uh perceptions that even in the moment that the man is in the room that he helped to design he wants to get out of it and then that that scene continues with this sort of hilarious uh, uh encounter with the the little sofa or or uh, in the translation i read it's, it's translated it's a as little poof, chair. It's a that, chair. little chair that he's yeah. sitting on but it's got springs under it yeah. and it, and there's this comic moment where he gets up and it's creaking and he sits and the the the, the springs are are desi- described as rebellious mm-hmm. um you know they're re- refusing to submit to his wishes and there's they're they're a kind of s- symbol of of reality that's spilling out despite our, you know, our efforts to construct and control it. Um, so, so, so that, that, but that first chapter. But just, ends, just a second, Steve. Please, another, go ahead. Another piece of this that you're, that you're leaving out is why the widow wants to talk to him. And it's about money. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So again, we're just, we're, we're, yes, she is. We, we actually, we don't know anything about her, but uh, she, we, we can assume that she's grieving, but she, but there's the grief, but then there's the hip hop, but then there on the, how are we going to live? How, what are we going to do about uh, the pensions and the, and the, and, and the money and so on? So there's this sense that though we're getting early on these, we're getting these sort of proleptic accounts of the way in which this worldview is going to be shown to be inadequate. You know, the springs are trying to escape. At the end, Pyotr Ivanovich of this first chapter, he ends up making making it out of the funeral in time to make his bridge game. And so there's a sense in which, you know, death has been sort of conveniently handled and put in its in its box. That's right. Well, he'll, um, he'll, he'll see if he can join. He doesn't make the yeah, but he'll, he'll see yeah, yeah, if, he, he, if they can fit in there. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, so what so what so what happens from there? Take it. Let's 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 talk our way through this this story as it as it, as it sort of sort of un, unfolds. Okay. Um, and then and then we turn to the next chapter where it just says the day I believe I, I, I how it's translated in your translation. I, I, I brought your translation. Let's see now. Uh, here we are. Um, My translation being the translation of a great uh, uh, pair of Russian translators, not Stephen Blackwood's tr- translation, but the translation of Louise and Almer uh, Maud, right. who were great translators of Russian literature in the early part of the 20th century. If I'm yes, mistaken. well, they they didn't translate. They only, as far as I know, they only trans- translated Tolstoy. Stephen, they they were they knew Tolstoy. Maud himself was a, was a British businessman living in Petersburg, and he became a Tolstoyan, but of a very British so, sort. And he so he was in a he was in a very good position to to be to to translate Tolstoy. So and so the first lines of chapter two are Ivan Ilyich's life had been most simple and most ordinary, and therefore most terrible. So this is again this is a kind of 
Tolstoy likes again that French side of Tolstoy. He likes to likes to uh, to say something very pithy, so like an epigraph. And then it, and then the chapter continues telling the story of his life, and it's it's um, um, why is it most terrible? Because it's a story of of how he became a man who cared only about. Well, the the terms that, that that Tolstoy uses again that pithiness of Tolstoy about pleasantness and convention. You have to be you have to be like everybody else, and you have to be, and but you also the, the, what you really want is 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 for things to be pleasant. So pleasantness to satisfy the body, food, sex, and so on, um, and. Uh, convention to satisfy the mind and one of the things and so he we we we, we go you you go through that uh that chapter and you go through go to the next chapter chapter three and then the disease appears and and what and the story of the disease among other things is a a rejection of what he had thought was of the pleasant and the conventional and a return to his body and his mind, which had only, which, which, which he had left behind as he grows up out of childhood. So we see him um, returning because he has to. Yes. This is, this illness is developed alongside an account of his, deepening love for power and for the power his office gives him. And in a way, I, I suppose one of the key tensions is between the emptiness of that power, the abstraction of that power, by contrast with the life of the individual. Because his portrait of the love of power is just absolutely searing. Uh, he this is in chapter two towards the end he and the contrast that's drawn here by Tolstoy about Ivan Ilyich is that as his family life becomes less and less pleasant which is the you might say the actual life of the individuals uh, those are the actual individuals in his life that he has vows and real duty real duties to he seeks refuge in the abstract in the abstractions of his power and uh, how does it, it's, it, he puts it, um, the whole interest of his life now centered in the official world, and that interest absorbed him. The consciousness of his power, being able to ruin anybody he wished to ruin, the importance, even the external dignity of his entry into court or meetings with his subordinates, his success with superiors and inferiors, and above all, his masterly handling of cases of which he was conscious. All this gave him pleasure. And then this gets built out we come to see that the his approach to this officialdom is purely abstract for himself so he's perfectly able to ignore the needs of an of of the person in front of him if his duties don't strictly pertain to that so uh, tolstoy seems to be drawing a portrait here of a man whose love of power is wholly self-centered and utterly untethered from the services to which that power is meant to be being put. That's actually a very good way of, of putting it, actually, Stephen, because the, the, the story that I would uh, recommend to your readers to uh, 
to read next of Tolstoy is a story called Master and Man, which was uh, published in, in 1895, and which in which uh, the 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 theme of it is what the really strong individual should put his strength toward, and how do you prove your real superiority? And that's uh, which is by dying for someone else. Uh, so it's a very interesting story in this respect. That's not the theme of this work. But Ivan Ilyich is using power as part of this expression of I'm getting stronger and I'm, 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 I'm living, I'm living, I'm living. And, and it's only taken away from him when he gets sick. Yes, and that's the moment where his he sees reflected back to him this officious disregard for individuality, if I can put it that way, in his visit to the doctor, where the doctor is taking precisely the standpoint Ilyich would have taken, you know, weighing this and weighing that, all without any concern for the person in front of him, saying the doctor summed up just as brilliantly looking over at spectacles uh, triumphantly and even gaily at the accused, comparing him yes. to the way he said he had seen he had so often acted when he was he was in a trial. Um, from the doctor summing up, Ivan Ilyich concluded that things were bad, but, but that for the doctor and perhaps for everybody else, it was a matter of indifference. Though for him, it was bad, and this conclusion struck him painfully, arousing in him a great feeling of pity for himself and of bitterness towards the doctor's indifference to a matter of such importance. So you know, here we see Tolstoy just brilliantly bringing out the inadequacy of the principle that that Ivan has lived his life for, as he now encounters others treating him in his need, as he had treated others by disregarding theirs. Mm -hmm. And I want to say that th there's a very good critic who um, who made this point about about this story. This is this is a story not about an individual, but about a process. And I, I think that's very important because no one is as uh, it's no one has ever met someone like like Ivani Leach. No one is as indifferent, and probably no one is as lonely or and horrified as what happens afterwards. It's but it's all pulled out. The, the process itself is is pulled out. It is what structures the story. So he has this pain there's some suggestion that it, it initially that maybe it's he th wonders it was it was caused when he fell off one of these damn pieces of furniture he had curated with such care and pride earlier uh perhaps it's cancer okay now wait a minute wait a minute wait a minute so yep. that's that's tolstoy never denies that that's he, tolstoy actually asserts that that's how it all happened so again why does he do that well because it's that is a kind of metaphor for Ivan Ilyich's life, that he's climbing a ladder, that he's putting up curtains. He's finally arrived. He's putting up curtains and so on, and he falls. And that's so that becomes a metaphor for what happens to him. And at this point, it's it's uh, so so. I doubt if he got the, the got this whatever this thing is. I've actually talked to a doctor once. Asked me what was it. Um, and she, she, because she'd read this, read the story. When she learned I was a, a, a Tolstoy scholar, she asked me, "What? Well, what was he suffering from?" And she, and I said, "Well, I don't know. No one has been able to figure it out. And 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 it doesn't matter. I love the fact. It, is he suffering from a floating kidney? 
that's one of the speculations, whatever that is. Uh, it, it it doesn't really matter. It's 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 this this lethal thing. Like you, she sort of assumed it was some kind of cancer. But we can't. But it's very interesting that we can't figure out what the disease is, because in other cases, when you read Tolstoy, he gets it entirely right. So here, he doesn't care. He's making the the disease needs to fit the storyline. The disease needs to to bring out the experience. It doesn't matter what the disease is. That's not what he's writing about. Yes, and in a sense, the the metaphor of falling on the furniture is important because it's bringing out the inner insubstantiality or tragic turn yeah. precisely in and through his attachment to these things that turn out to be meaningless. Yes. Whether that is actually the physical cause of his death or not, it's very important that that Elich psychologically associates the unhappiness and gnawing inner pain of his position, you know, the psychological mental pain with these former attachments, whether they were actually the cause of his Well, whether, no, no, this isn't his opinion. It might be his opinion, but it's more on the level of the author, I think. I think I think that it's that it's that the things that brought him pleasure now kill him. That the that 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 just like the you know the bumpiness of the just the spring at the beginning of the story, it turns out that all these things are are which he thought would would bring him um, a good life, a proper and and a pleasant life, all become so eating now becomes you know very 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 difficult. That and as as, as just as another example. Yes, and there's a w- very striking moment when he is he continually tries to to ignore the pain and to you know give various diagnoses of various kinds as if you know if he can just get the technocratic answer you know take the right medicine that this whole thing will go go away and is it the is it there's this almost comical scene where this uh, diagnosis of the vermiform appendix is given and he thinks oh yes that's it that's it and he remembers he takes the medicine and he says all i need to do is take this medicine and we'll sort out this vermiform appendix and then of course the pain comes back and and he says to himself it's not a question of appendix or kidney but of life and death yes why deceive myself so there yeah finally dawns upon him that the inescapability of death itself it's not something he's going to be able to outsmart. His whole worldview is coming crashing down around him. How would you describe this dawning realization that the character goes through? Well, let's go back first of all to what comes crashing down. What's coming? What comes crashing down is the edifice that he's built to uh, to screen himself from the reality of life. One of the things I would say about this is now he's completely alone. Not completely, we'll get to that, of course, but he's he's alone because he's going through an experience that nobody else in his circle uh, is experiencing with him. So he's 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 lost his uh, he's lost 
he's 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 in he's in a place where nobody else is and nobody no and so it says he saw that he was dying and he was in continual despair again using the mod um he knew that he was dying but not only was he not accustomed to the thought but he simply did not and could not grasp it and then and then we learn that wonderful line the syllogism that he had learned from a lot a certain logic book of logic Caius is a man man men are mortal therefore Caius is mortal it's a correct when it applies to Caius but not to me so what was he building his earlier life on he was building his earlier life on the supposition that he's immortal he 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 had removed the existence of death from his understanding of his life and again i think here it's at, at this point certainly already we are as readers we have no long we're we're no longer looking at ivan ilich as simply a a uh, that 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 superficial bourgeois because he's going through an experience which we fear that which we will all have to go through well we won't unless we well that we might have to go through the experience of death we're all going to die but this is a long prolonged death in which the in which in which is it, as it were death rubs its nose your your nose in it so ivan ilich now is begin actually has the opportunity to think his way through what's happening to him and we think with him yes it's a, it's an absolutely marvelous moment there when he mentioned the kiesvetter's logic the syllogism that you you just gave us and it's it's pierced with this beautiful particularity when he says he he says, you know, what did Caius know of the, mether, the of the smell of that striped leather ball Vanya had been so fond of? Had Caius kissed his mother's hand like that? And did the silk of her dress rustle so for Caius? So there's this wonderful emerging sense that the particularity of the individual is where the meaning is. Not in the abstraction, and note, and note and note where it is in his life. It's in his childhood. That's extreme. It's not. It's not. Did Caius know what it was like when I uh, became a lawyer or whatever? It's 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 up into up through adolescence. He uh, he does include being in love, for instance, but it's not. Did Caius know what it was like to be a great lawyer? So he's you see him returning through death to the fundamentals of of the life of the body for one thing yes and even when it does go later to to comparing caius to to him in his later life he then goes back to say but for me little vanya ivan yeah. so it's this whole sense of returning to a an earlier standpoint in his That's life right. that where he's more fully mm-hmm in touch with what's That's real. Right. That's right. That's right. So let's let's take this uh this you know, this is such an immensely intricate and powerful uh final pages of this of this novella. Let's take this and 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 focus in on some of these these moments um by way of contrast with the illuminations or epiphanies or realizations that s- come to dawn on him. I want to return well, to this moment. Can I say moment. something here, Stephen? Please. Just, you, you, you said, let's focus in on this. Well, do note that 
it's a novella. Look how how quickly the novella goes through the the 40 years of Ivan Ilyich's life. And then how the, the, the story of his death, which takes place in a very short time, because is, is, uh, takes so much time to describe. And as he gets closer to dying, the more attention is given to the moment. He's, among other things, he's, he's returning. It, it's, it's so, so the chapters get longer, or, or the, the, the experience gets, lo- gets longer toward the end as death comes closer. Yes, yeah, so that's part of the genius of this whole story, of course, is that even so, it's only whatever, you know, 50, pa- right. 50 pages. Yeah. And yet he has this ability to move very quickly. There's a line there. And, and so past 17 years of his, yeah. the first 17 years Again, of his marriage, yes. just not even, not even we'll a sentence. That, right? and then, so that is, so, yeah, so yeah. and you would have to say from the point of view of the story that, that the, uh, the amount of time given to each to, to moments in his life is is significant. It is suggests what the significant moments are, and death is the significant moment. Yes. So as we approach these magnificent final pages, mm-hmm. I want to bring out just this one line: is that it's representative of of a scene that happens repeatedly. His his deepening sense of alienation from his family, who pretend that what is happening to him is not yep. happening. And this becomes in, intolerable. Yes. And there's this terrible moment uh, just at the end of chapter five when his wife comes in and is perhaps even trying to genuinely be affectionate towards him. Um, uh, and she kisses him on the forehead. And then the narrator says, while she was kissing him, he hated her from the bottom of his soul and with difficulty refrain from pushing her away. This, of course, is going to be contrasted now with the character of Gerasim, but I I, I want to ask you, Donna, what is Tolstoy doing here in giving us these terrible images of of hatred and animosity and even violence with with Ivan Ilyich's loved ones? Remember what I said about how Tolstoy is how realistic Tolstoy is, how he doesn't pull his punches. Again, he's had all these feelings himself. If he doesn't, if he, if he, if he hasn't had them, he doesn't report them. So he's borrowing from feelings that, uh, that, 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 that are taboo, but we've had them. So yes, you know, you can be married for a long time and you can still have moments when you hate your spouse. Right. And 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 so this is what so that this is so he's drawing upon that. uh, And so we believe him. We believe him that he's because we 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 believe him because he, he turns to us again and says, haven't you had that experience? And now it's it's now he's asking us, uh, haven't you had that bad, unpleasant experience? It's fine when you say. Haven't you had the wonderful experience of Natasha falling in love with, with, uh, with, with Andre or whatever? But it's another thing when you say, "Haven't you had the experience of hating your wife?" He's he, another another work by him called the Kreutzer Sonata. He murders the character, the main character murders his wife, and and the author turns to us and says, "Haven't you wanted to murder your wife um, now and again?" And the answer is yes. 
you have. So he's got a huge basket full of human emotions that he can use and play with. Yes, I I, I kept thinking of that famous line of Solzhenitsyn as I was reading this psychological portrait that I think I have this right. If only there were evil people somewhere insidiously committing evil deeds and it were necessary only to separate them from the rest of us and destroy them. But the line dividing good and evil cuts through the heart of every human being. And and here Tolstoy is bringing us into the death of Illich and his alienation from those around him. And that is the turning point in a way, this moment of total alienation and hatred for those around him. This is the, the state he is in when he comes to apprehend, let's say, another way of living or a, a, a different principle according to which yeah, life and, 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 can, can and be just ordered. Just interrupt here. Remember how I said talked about how Tolstoy said you can't take a, believed that you can't take a step without believing in things. So this is, so he can't turn, so the first part of the story is about his struggle to not go there. And then there comes a moment when he cannot not go there and and things come to a, come to a standstill and he's got to go somewhere else. So where's he going? He's going, first of all, he goes back to his childhood. That's very important. And he builds from there. Let's let's talk about this first scene that we're given. It's not the first entry of Garasim. That's that happens at the very actually at the funeral, which of course happens later. This is, I think, the first mention of him. This this peasant boy servant comes in, and it's I think very interesting that he's he's. He's essentially changing the the, the bedpan, I think. Uh, so and and washing uh, Illich, uh, who is no longer able even to wash himself. And so here he is, Ivan Illich is in is in the epitome of of vulnerability of 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 helplessness yeah. of 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 the the total opposite of the and the shame and the yes. shame of the body. Yeah, the shame, the shame of the body. Things to try to hide. Yeah, yeah. the total contrast and, with the Camille Faux self-presentation, exactly. the mastery of him in yep. court. Here he is, weak. His 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 thin thighs exposed. His own human waste just being rinsed out into the 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 backyard. Yerasim has to pull his pants up. Yes, and in that moment, mm-hmm. there's a there's a shift in the story. Rather than hatred towards Gerasim and hatred of himself, something shifts in him. How would you describe what he is coming to see in this moment? Well, first of all, he's he's accepting the situation, and that's that's the and that's that's the great discovery. That's the great I am mortal, and what does that mean? So he's now in a place of truth. That's, uh, I, I don't think that he's not happy yet. It's not, he's, he's having this experience, which now he's in a place where uh, you and I have not been. Uh, we're not dying. And um, he's, he's, so he's, he's, he's in a place where the, the, it will be possible to see things from a very, very different point of view. And the first thing that happens is, is, 
is that he's that he discovers everything I thought was pleasant and proper was not. So you could even ask the question, you know, so what is pleasant and proper? Is anything pleasant and proper? Yes, he begins to ask this 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 question whether his whole life has been wrong. Uh, uh, but in this yeah. scene with with Gerasim, I, I think what you, you've said is 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 completely right that there's this turn towards truth, and it's interesting that because here he is living in in all this falsity with his family and the doctors are pretending he isn't sick, that he's not dying, and he knows he's dying, and they know he's dying, but they won't even talk to him about the fact that he's dying. And there's this simple acknowledgement of the truth with Gerasim, where 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 he says, uh, where Ivan says, "You must forgive me, I am helpless." Oh, why, sir? And Garasim's eyes beamed and he showed his glistening white teeth. What's a little trouble? It's a case of illness with you, sir. And so there's this, this unembarrassed acknowledgement of the truth of his situation. And this seems to be the, the, as it were, the building block or the turning point in which he's able to move towards a more adequate standpoint in himself. Well, there's a kind of idealization of the peasant life here too, right? Because the suggestion is that Gerasim is is living a life where which does not deny mortality. That's that can't be true. That's so Gerasim then becomes a kind of ideal figure. Uh, we would not want in a Tolstoy world. We would not want to probe too deeply into Gerasim because it's just not. And there are there is actually a very short story where where uh, uh, called Alyosha the Pot which I recommend to your readers, in which uh, a Gerasim-like character has to die. It's very short because Tolstoy, you know, you can't go too deeply into making this kind of suggestion that, that, that there are people like that out there and, and, and that there is a way of life that simply accepts mortality. There, there isn't. But what Gerasim is saying is, I have to die too. So, you know, I, I, I get it and I'm going to help you. That we can do. That's what is not present in the, the bourgeois life that uh, Ivan Ilyich lived in. And so now Ivan Ilyich is not alone anymore. And someone has just said to him, this is what's happening. But then the question is, and then what? Well, Gerasim, it would seem that Gerasim is not power hungry. That Gerasim somehow, because he, 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 he accepts mortality... He, 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 he then begin he then accepts he, he takes himself less seriously and begins to accept the need for helping others which is, Gosh, not, is, which a, is not a principle in, in Ivani Leach's life so yes. this, this is Tolstoy's again you know how are we going to get away from our, our, our fundamental selfishness because it's absolutely natural to be selfish and the answer is only by accepting immortality. And this is Tolstoy's, you know, don't take yourself so seriously because you're a leaky ship. You're, you're, and, you're going to, and you're going to sink. So find a way to live that takes you outside of yourself. That, that seems to me absolutely fundamental here. It's not that Gerasim is some philosophical, spiritual guru who, who has you know, got all the answers or something. There's something very simple going on here, and that is that he takes him as he is, he acknowledges his mortality, and there's a sincerity to wanting to help Illich that Gerasim has that somehow cuts through 
Ivan Ilyich's defenses. And so he's able to let himself be, to surrender in a way with Gerasim, in a way that he's not with others. And there's this beautiful scene with the Gerasim holding his legs, That's that he right. feels better when Gerasim is holding his legs. And you know, perhaps he feels better because you know the, the, the pressure or whatever, but you get the sense that he feels better because he's being touched by a human being and he's being cared for in a way that he wants to. Where's that? Where's that wonderful line, Donna? Where, where he 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 says, um, I'll just find it here. Where he returns to the to the lying of his family, and he he wants to say to them, "Stop lying. You know, and I know that I'm dying. Then at least stop lying about it." And that, but the worst of it is that it's not just being the indecorousness of of dying and the unpleasant odors and all of that. He saw that no one felt for him because no one even wished to grasp his position. Only Garasim recognized it and pitied him. And, and so and, and Ivan stop right there, Stephen, because again, why don't they recognize it? Because of their own fears, because they also are living in that construct in which in which we, we cannot recognize the mortality of others. Because if we do, just like with Piotr Ivanovich, looking at the at the corpse of his his school friend. Uh, and it's a very touching moment. Um, we it, we are afraid for ourselves, and somehow the the, the the suggestion is that Gerasim is not afraid. So that's why I say it's a bit idealizing, but it but it's made it's again it's this is a process that's being described, and so we we can accept it in the sense that this is what the character could be. Let's say even if he isn't entirely that way. Yes, and so. So we have here in Gerasim a kind of articulation of a of a let's call it a spiritual principle of 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 other focused care that is based in truth and of course none of us will live up to that but what we have here in this contrast is that it's a, that that Gerasim is you know, willing to stay up all night not for himself but because it makes someone else feel better and there's this and so that you have this denial of the both the physical and the spiritual crisis and everyone else around him and there's absolutely no relief without truth and then gerasim comes and acknowledges the truth of his condition his particularity his suffering in a way it's the moment in which gerasim does not treat him like a syllogism he holds up his legs and there's this, this turning point in which gerasim illustrates for him that there is another mode a deeper mode of living in the world by contrast with the Camille foe and all of the insubstantiality of that externality and the, the poverty of this trying to always impress others. And here we come to a kind of bedrock of meaning that has to do somehow with opening ourselves to others and attending to others in truth. And yet, as you say, this is not the end of the story. He then he then sends as as he then has to turn as it were to face himself directly to face these questions directly in a dialogue with his own soul and towards the end he actually sends gerasim away what tell us why he sends gerasim away and and we'll 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 conclude our discussion as we we talk about this astoundingly powerful ending after he sends gerasim away what happens well because in the end, uh, first of all, in the end, first of all, Gerasim is still just a 
part of the journey. He's he's that 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 the journey is back to the self and the discovery of the self. And it's only in dying that the character discovers is returns to to his his inner resources. And this is very very important. Tolstoy is not. He he doesn't give us anything. He doesn't give us anything metaphysical, shall we say, ontological. But he gives us a soul that is open to to metaphysical, to the metaphysical. And without and and, and so so this whole idea of meaning has to be grounded in something. Tolstoy doesn't say what it's grounded in, but it has to be grounded in something. And and so that something is present in the soul. It's not personal. Therefore, it, it takes us out of our the personal into the the general. But Tolstoy doesn't want to say what it is because he doesn't know. Uh, this is sort of the Kantian side of Tolstoy that we, we talked about when we first uh, when, when we had our first conversation. Um, but once he he turns inward that in that way, he's actually able to feel pity for his family. And that is so that means that he is stepping outside of his own situation for the first time in his life. Yes, the logic, as it were, goes that he is able to discover this principle in and through his encounter with Garasim, but he must send Garasim away in order to come to a to discover it in himself. To discover That's it in, right. in, in himself. And this is the moment, though we've been building up since the very beginning with the the uh the very beginning of the story when his colleagues are are themselves clearly uh, in this sort of impoverished moral standpoint and denying of death and the springs don't you can't get the springs under yourself we've been we've been uh, there've been illusions or foreshadowings of what's coming as this the the terrible thought grows within him that maybe he's been living according to the wrong principle. But it's really only at the very end that he accepts that that is, is so. It, it's a, I'll just read this passage. It occurred to him that what had ha- appeared perfectly impossible before, namely that he had not spent his life as he should have done, might, after all, be true. It occurred to him that his scarcely perceptible attempts to struggle against what was considered good by the most highly placed people, those scarcely noticeable impulses which he had immediately suppressed, might have been the real thing, and all the rest false. All his professional duties and the whole arrangement of his life and of his family and all his social and official interests might all have been false. He tried to defend all those things to himself and suddenly felt the weakness of what he was defending. There was nothing. To defend, gosh, what a what a genius yeah. writer Tolstoy yeah. is! But that's not just, the end. absolutely. Just I know, going. I know. We yeah. have to turn to the yes. end now. We yeah. have to turn to the end. So because, that's yeah. the moment he has this epiphany that it's all been wrong. That's but right. What what goes in its place? And there's this is such a tightly packed ending, which, as you say, is not overdetermined. And so we have to read carefully to see what Tolstoy is suggesting through the lines here. And you've just said, Donna, that it's it's it's. It's in this acceptance, first with Gerasim, then he is becomes capable of turning outside of his own self-preoccupation. Now, wait a second, Stephen, though. Let's not, let's not over-idealize what's going on here. Because I think it's very, very significant that how difficult this is. 
even now, even though when he's when he's reached the point where where he completely rejects everything, even now that stepping outside of himself with real pity, really seeing what's going on in the in in, in other people doesn't occur until the pain in and until he has to reject his body because of the excruciating pain the screaming that goes on for 3 days and 3 nights that has to happen so tolstoy is saying this is how hard it is to give up on yourself and and so so you have this great writer who's saying that human beings are naturally selfish that's just what we're like and we be, and everything we do we behave that way and so now there's this moment of true compassion but it only happens when you can reject yourself and you don't reject yourself easily. You don't reject yes. yourself until you until until it's there's this physical excruciating pain that he has to turn away from. Oh yeah, this is a very hard vision. Even on the third last page of the book, he's still hating his family. Exactly. <laughs> I mean that he's this is this yeah. is I, I this is there is there is no. Uh, there's no easy conversion here. There's no sense in which, oh, and then everything happily ever no, this after. Is this is not a, a conversion. Painful, it, yeah. hard one, hard one shift in standpoint that Tolstoy mm-hmm. never once pretends is easy. And, and yet at the same time, it seems to me he is suggesting with a kind of inevitability, a, a kind of inevitability in this argument that it is real. That you know, Tolstoy is not saying, oh, well, you know, really there is only just the will to power and the come ill foe. He's exposed mm-hmm. this with just searing clarity. The, the brilliance of the prose is bringing us into this. The insubstantiality of this is dawning on us little by little, this kind of inevitability to the unfolding of the narrative until on these these last, you know, few paragraphs, the last couple of pages, which we come to now, Talk us through these. There's a kind of moment of surrender that involves his his son. Yeah, the son kisses his hand, and yes, and and he he feels pity for the son. Yes, again, I want to emphasize that the suggestion here is, and one one of the things that makes this story so powerful is that it is so realistic. Tolstoy is this is as you say this is I would not call this a conversion story. I would call this a story about death. Uh, and and it's 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 as he's leaving his life. So his 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 moment of compassion for his son, for his wife is comes about as he is exiting from life. And the suggestion is that's the only time you can really do it. But the, he's not a nihilist. He's not saying this is not real. He's saying this is there. But don't forget how powerful everything else is. And I think it's extremely important to, to appreciate that because for us to, 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 to say to ourselves, this is not just about those petty bourgeois. This is about humanity. We're not, we're not, this is not something that we can cluck about. We're like this too. Yes. Oh, oh certainly. And, and the burden of this story ultimately lies upon the reader and the the suggestion is not that this is easy but it does certainly seem that Tolstoy is looking to bring into view 
an alternative vision. But it's not an alternative way of life. No. What do you mean by that? I mean that he dies. It's at the moment of death that he has this, let's just say that the lights, you know, that think of life as light, light and darkness and that the light floods in at the end, but that all life is the life, the, the light and the darkness. Yes. The only thing I would want to press on there, Donna, nothing is, is... Nothing is nothing is proposed, Stephen. Nothing is proposed. No alternative. I mean, would we be like Gerasim? I don't think so. Let's just say that we readers do not identify with Gerasim. No, I, not with Gerasim, but he does seem to be suggesting that, I mean, there'd be no point in writing the book at all. Uh, it would be an act of nihilism to write the book if this were simply something that was going to happen to you at the moment of death. There seems to be at least suggested that the, princ the principle that's coming into view here is one that transcends ourselves, that we, the opening ourselves up to, the, to, to others is inherently more meaningful than what he was living for before. He doesn't tell us how to do that. There's no moral prescriptions here. There's yeah. no sense in which this is the formula to life, but there, there I agree is with a that. sense in which there's, yeah. I there's agree with that. a contrast in these last moments. Let's just talk this through just at but, the but end he there, doesn't, But he doesn't give us an alternative way to live. The story does not, which is another thing, brilliant thing about the story because that would then then it would become very moralizing. Yes. Well, and this is why I think it's such an astoundingly great work of fiction is because it's it's to feel the full moral power of or let's say metaphysical power of this. I mean, it would be lost if this were to come down into some sort of and the moral of the story is he's leaving that to the reader. He's leaving to the reader to say, holy, what does this mean for me well what he could say what the reader might say is actually my life is a lot like the life of ivani leach and how can i make it less like that Th that's exactly right and that's where the power is is that he's you know no, none of us likes to be coercively moralized what he brings us to it, with a kind of inevitability as i keep saying is is a sense that he's given us a real account of life and decisions as we live and make them and brought us to the point of asking, am I living like Ivan Ilyich or am I living in relation to a deeper principle? So let's just look at these last lines here because I, I, I really want to have your take, Donna, yeah. before we conclude on, so he has this moment where he, he sort of lets go, he sees his death is coming, he's you know falling towards it. And at that very moment, his son has crept in yeah. And has gone by the bedside, and 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 he's and he's crying, and his hand fell on the boy's head, and the boy caught it, pressed it to his lips, and began to cry. At that very moment, Ivan Ilyich fell through and caught sight of the light, and it was revealed to him that though his life had not been what it should have been, this could still be rectified. He asked himself, "What is the right thing?" and grew still, listening. Then he felt that someone was kissing his hand. He opened his eyes, looked at his son, and felt sorry for him. His wife came up to him, and he glanced at her. She was gazing at him open-mouthed, with undried tears on her nose and cheek, and a despairing look on her face. He felt sorry for her, too. And then there's this moment where he doesn't even have the strength to say he is, he is 
he to to articulate this to them. Uh, but he wants to do something in his moment of death. And so he looks at his wife and he says, take him about his son, take him away. Sorry for him. Sorry for you too. He, And so there's this sense of you know, whether it's trying to make amends, it seems to be an acknowledgement, a deep acknowledgement that is other focused in this moment. How Help me to understand what you see to be going on in these very carefully wrought well, what, what, I see, what I see going on here is 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 uh, that as as I've said, you know, Tolstoy's thought of the human being as composed of different parts. You know, the body, the mind, the the the, the heart, as it were, emotions, and these things were related to one another too. So what's happening here is that is with the death of the body, the the the, the pure essence of mind can become dominant and that's what's happening here and you'll see that at the very end uh they watch the body die but he's gone and he says there is no death and what he's saying is that he's accessing that that part of the mind which is eternal and not individual so he moves closer to that and that and that it's that it's that, and and again, this sort of enlightenment side of Tolstoy. He wants to wants you know reason to be reason, and this is, makes Tolstoy modern. He wants reason to be the source of virtue, because modernity is about reasoning, right? Science, reasoning, nauka, as we say in Russian. Uh, so so it's 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 so he's this. So as it were, the parts separate, and and he has this epiphany. Only, only he has this epiphany. Uh, we don't. No one else is is privy to that except Tolstoy's readers, as it were. But, but uh, it's not so. So, so that's how I read. I read the end. Now, how do you understand this? He, he tried to add. This is just before he dies. He's speaking to his his wife. Mm-hmm. He tried to add, "Forgive me." Yeah. But said, "Forego." Yeah. And waved his hand, knowing that he whose understanding mattered would understand. Okay. And that at that moment, there's this falling away of everything that's oppressing him from two sides, from ten sides, from all sides. And so it, the, the, it, he's. This is the moment of release. From the pain is still there, but he's transcended the pain. You know, it says, you know, "Where he's is it? Oh, there it body. is. What of it? Yeah. He's leaving his body. That's right. What is this? What is going on here?" in this uh, knowing that he whose understanding mattered would understand in your well, opinion. Again, this is, this is, this is a moment that you can accept or not accept that Tolst- that, uh, uh, as I said, you know, to he's that Tolstoy is, believes that there is, there is a transcendent be truth, but that we don't have access to it. So this is, Ivan Ilyich's exposure to that truth. Yes, and I don't. I, I, I and, and by I don't, the way, and, yes. and, and and you know what? It could very well be that I I, I once taught this story to a, a a group of homeless people. We the, we are at our university. We had uh, a a reading group, uh, and I was invited to teach the death of Ivan Ilyich to these homeless people, and uh, they loved the story, and they 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 began to talk about know their experiences and of course they'd had very difficult experiences in their lives and they 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 confirmed you know that you that people dying can have these visions 
Are they real or not? We, they don't, that, we don't have to answer that question. Yes, I don't see this. Uh, I think what you're saying is completely right. It's not, Tolstoy is not trying to coerce us into a religious standpoint here so much as to say, I think, and I think this is true, that there's a sense in which even to perceive a deeper truth of existence is already to step into a different standpoint. It's it's to, I mean, this is what the whole, as it were, work of Plato, I, I would argue, is about. It's 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 to recognize, to perceive any truth, to know any truth, already means is our already to see that your own thinking, your own subjectivity, your own inner life is connected with this uh, uh, larger reality. But you can't uh, be sure. You can't be sure. And wait, the way Tolstoy read Plato, and I, is is you know again, you know, I know that I know nothing. That 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 in the that 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 and and that's a st that can be understood as a statement of 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 uh, faith as it were that there is something that i cannot comprehend as an individual but stay there don't comp don't don't comprehend it don't be uppity don't think that you can and that's uh, the power of tolstoy i think is that he stays there in his great his greatest writings you know there are these trans there are these moments of illumination but but he doesn't insist he doesn't say what they are and he doesn't insist that we embrace them he, 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 all he does is take us to that point. Yes, it's, so it's interesting. We, we won't go deep into Plato here, but in a way, you know, I'm that's talking the about how Tolstoy read Plato. Yeah, yes. Oh, absolutely. And that is the Socratic position. That is the frankly what Socrates said, that he knew that he knew nothing, which is not the position of Plato as he develops in his own writings, reflecting on what he learned from Socrates, which is precisely that even to acknowledge that you know nothing is already to acknowledge your position within uh, uh, a larger frame Absolutely. of truth. Absolutely, and with... Tolstoy agreed with that. Tolstoy read Plato yes. in that in that way that Plato was read in the nineteenth century. Absolutely, but and, and but, so, but but it's very ahead, very important that you not that you not push that too hard because again the, the power of Tolstoy as a great writer depends upon you're not saying, oh, well, this shows us, you know, that there's something out there. It does, it, 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 it shows us that we don't know what's out there. Let me ask, uh, to follow up on that, that, uh, because I certainly agree that this is an ending that is meant to be completely, you know, this is non, not a coercive, you know, oh, and here it is, uh, you know, we're going to give you the, the, the three-point play to convert you to Christianity or something like that. No, That's no, absolutely not. not what's, no, what's no. happening here. And yet at the same time, Tolstoy does seem to be not agnostic about, for example, whether Ivan Ilyich lived a life as he should have, or whether there might be principles according to which a life might be lived more fully. And broadly speaking, those right. have to do yeah. with some acknowledgement of our frailty, some living in relation to truth, some... Uh, uh, acknowledgement of the substantiality of the individual uh, all of those things seem he does not seem to be agnostic about them but what's so powerful is that he's not breaking this down into some kind of a reductive formula for the reader to live by and you mentioned the kantian character of this do you th would you agree that for tolstoy the nature of truth itself is not coercive 
So he has to leave it to us to figure out what this means. Well, I, I would say this: there's a, there's a, there's actually a, a a very again, you know, I'm I'm not going to say what I think or what I'm like as a, as a human being. What drew, drew me to Tolstoy? I've to, studied Tolstoy my whole life, but I would say this: that one one thing you could say about Tolstoy is that as an aristocrat and as a human being, he's concerned fundamentally about human dignity. And there cannot be dignity without truth. And so if dignity is the more important thing, then the self remains in place, shall we say. And this whole idea about having to, you know, so dignity requires that we act, that, that, that we take responsibility for our actions, that we're not animals, you know, that we are guilty, shall we say, um, or, or we we are we are and we can't be that way if we're not doing some if we don't own our behavior, right? So one way of of, of reading this this insistence on that there has to be something is out of a, a desire for dignity. Yes, and hopefully we'll have a chance to speak about these things another time. But it seems for Tolstoy, there's also a powerful connection between truth as the bedrock of dignity and f freedom yeah the non-coercive the, the the sense in which there's an integrity to the individual that's right that can be crushed by bureaucracy crushed by power crushed by our own lust for power so, so uh, i mean it's complicated it's complicated because as, as it were he's i mean and one of the things that's very very uh, uh unclear in tolstoy is 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 that is that distinction between you know just just exactly when do we do we leave the self if we leave it mm. at all? And how is that leaving a deepening of the self? I mean, there's a sense in which I, I thought you said very beautifully at the beginning, his concern with his his own behavior, you know, was he living up to his principles and were his principles yeah. accurate? There's this deepening sort of dialectic between self and world in which right. self-abandonment is also a deepening of what's most real in the self. Exactly. Well put. I agree. It, it's a, it's, it's a, it's been such a pleasure to speak to you about this, this, the death of Ivan Ilyich, which leaves it to us to think about what precisely this powerful story means, but perhaps nonetheless gives us some of the contours as Tol Tolstoy might have sketched them of caring for others, of honesty, truth, and in a sense, an affirmation of the reality and particularity of the individual. Yeah. Thank you very, very much, Thank and I hope we might speak again. To, 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 to revisit what, that, this wonderful story. You've been listening to the Ralston College podcast. Today's guest was Dr. Donna Orwin, professor of Russian literature at the University of Toronto. Dr. Orwin's books include Tolstoy's Art and Thought, Consequences of Consciousness, and finally, a terrific introduction to Tolstoy, which is also available as an audiobook called Simply Tolstoy. We always love to hear from you, our listeners, so please feel free to subscribe, to leave us a review or a note, and please let us know what you think of this format of conversations about books. You can also join our effort to renew, reform, and reimagine higher education at www.ralston.ac. 
Upcoming episodes include conversations with the Scottish sculptor Sandy Stoddart, the satirist Andrew Doyle, and the Nobel laureate in economics Vernon Smith. I'm Stephen Blackwood. Till next time. <laughs>